0: Welcome to the Ten Twelve the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us, as always, here on a Monday to recap the weekend that was joining me as usual. Jamie Steyer.
1: Hello! I'm somewhat happy to be here. Been happier.
0: Yeah, yeah. And of course, Andy Mitts. Um, Big 12 football didn't happen this last weekend, so I'm good. Okay, before we hop into football, uh, I Jamie is in a much better mood today. It has nothing to do with what happened on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> Jamie decided to say yes to the dress, so congratulations, Jamie.
1: Thank you. Yes, I had to look at, I was telling Philip I had to look at football statistics and scores so that I could get back in the right mindset because wedding planning will really take you out of the podcasting mood, I'll tell you what.
0: I don't understand. Like, why Why would you be worried more about your wedding than this podcast? That just doesn't seem very professional, Jamie.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I know. I need to evaluate my priorities.
2: Come on, Jamie. Live in the moment. The wedding has to be a ways off. You know, football's happening now.
1: You're right. You're <laughs> right. And only, only one thing is actively costing money, so.
0: This is just because Iowa State lost, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a form of escapism. From now on, anytime Iowa State loses, I'm going to go buy a wedding dress. <laughs> it's a really terrible form of coping.
0: I mean, it's very expensive. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I, I feel like a very large bar tab might be a better
2: decision, but, you know, to each his own, whatever. No, does that mean that every time they win that you go and return the last one?
1: Oh, wedding dresses can't be returned.
2: No. No.
0: (laughs) How many wedding dresses do you have in your closet, Jamie?
1: Oh, we're not going to talk about that on there. That's (laughs) my own personal cross to bear.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, To... Quickly recap a conversation from last week. We talked about trying to land a mascot for the 1012 podcast, ran some polls on Twitter and Instagram stories. uh, And the fire salamander uh, was chosen as the winner by those who voted. Now, granted, this was like 150 people, maybe 30 people total. (laughs) Shush. Uh, All,
1: all personal relatives of ourselves.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Your dad. Uh, All his burners. Who I know voted for your rabbit. Uh Fire Salamander came in first, followed by the nudie uh the, the nudie branch slug, because who doesn't want to say that? Uh and then your rabbits and, and uh pufferfish came in. I'm sorry guys. I just so I think we'll go with the fire salamander, it's not decided.
1: Hey, I'm fine by
0: that. I just gotta we'll see what we'll see what happens. I wonder if I can like put them all together into some strange
2: mutated animal. Be, no, no, do like the Hogwarts crest where you have like all four of them in different Ooh. parts of the of the logo. There we Ooh, go.
0: A crest, the Tintel crest. Ooh, I like. That's an okay. idea. There we well, go. Well, then I, I really, I just, I need one for like all of my regulars. So then I need like me, the two of you, and then I've got to get one for Chris and and Daniel wants to figure that out. Okay. TBD folks, TBD. All right, you guys came here to listen to us talk about football, not wedding dresses and fire salamanders, so let's hop in. Uh Jamie, let's just rip off the band-aid and go ahead and get this game out of the way. Oklahoma State getting the win in Stillwater 24-21. The the more I've I've thought about this game and the further I've gotten away from it, the more I realize and I I had the thought during the game, the more I realize this is a weird game for the Big 12 because this was an SEC or Big 10 game of old where it felt like if either team could go up by two scores, they would win and the game would be over. And that's what Oklahoma State did. I know that Iowa State got the touchdown late, um, albeit uh, because the refs were terrible the entire game. Both ways, I'm not. Oh I'm not my saying gosh, it. yeah. Like both ways. There were some. Both ways. Awful. Like, they let OSU get away from some stuff. They let Charlie Kolar push off. Apparently, that's just his thing. Uh, That catch that was not a catch that extended the touchdown drive at the end of the game, it was not a catch. Um, Reffing aside, it did feel like once Oklahoma State went up 10, I know there was a lot of time left. I know Iowa State got the touchdown there late, but it really kind of felt like with the way the defenses were playing, especially Oklahoma State's on Saturday, once OSU went up two scores, that game was pretty much over.
1: Yeah I kind of felt the same way and I don't know so what I said to you the other day was that you know I'm disappointed I'm not surprised like the thing is that Iowa State still truly has yet to prove that they can perform on that large of a stage I'm not writing them off as far as the rest of the season goes but they just really struggle in situations like that and I mean I think obviously yeah it's it's frustrating when you have this big of a game and then the reffing is just so inconsistent it's like you wish that you could just have the game played as opposed to having 15 minute breaks every couple plays because they have to confer to decide what every single call is and whether to pick up a flag whether to like it yeah that was like a frustration in its own right but I don't know man I mean When Brees Hall pops off for a couple of really long runs and other than that has almost nothing when no one else besides Brock Purdy rushes really at all when our receiving core is fairly non-existent. I mean, you've got your tight ends and then Xavier Hutchinson. I mean, it's just hard when you have a quote-unquote go-to guy in your as far as like Brees Hall goes and then you have your generally targeted receiver as far as Xavier Hutchinson goes but Brees Hall's still young and Xavier Hutchinson like isn't that much of a star where he can carry the entire load for the team and so I don't know I think it just shows that you really need some other people to show up you really need everyone else to get healthy if you want to have a chance to really run it out the rest of the season because that's the thing is that for Iowa state, that would have been a really great game to have, but it doesn't mean that their season's over. They just have some things they really have to address if they want to have a really highly competitive rest of their season.
0: So to, to echo off your point on Brees Hall, um, obviously he had the two big rhymes, the 70 yarder and the 66 yarder uh, on the other 18 carries he had on Saturday. He racked up 51 Total yards. In fact, if you take away Brees Hall's two big runs, OSU allowed 3.9 yards per play the rest of the game outside of those two. Um, And I, 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 I've said this on Twitter, and I talked about this on the OSU pod. That that first big run of his, the one where they were able to chase him down and tackle him, um, ended up with no points. It was a missed field goal after that. Uh, to me, for OSU, that was the play of the game, was uh-huh. stopping him from making, hitting the end zone because it came away. It was a big run, but it didn't hurt you in the end. It didn't hurt uh-huh. Oklahoma State uh, in the end of the game on the scoreboard, so it didn't really matter all that much. Um, Andy, you've been someone, and, and I have agreed with you, and I think Jamie has as well. And I, the the thing we've heard the most about Oklahoma State's defense thus far was okay, they've played Kansas, West Virginia, and Tulsa. Let's not overreact. Okay, let's not let's not go way overboard. Um, at this point, now that they we saw what they did to Iowa State, and 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 understanding held them to twenty one points. Um, the drives for Iowa State in the second half they allowed fifteen yards, seventy four touchdown, twenty seven one negative five six to the eighty three yarder uh, for the touchdown, and that was the second half for Iowa State. I I am ready to say that this Oklahoma State defense is real. It is good. They have playmakers. They're all over the field. They tackle really well. Uh, Andy, I, I'm curious your how how your opinion of the Oklahoma State
2: defense has changed after this game. To be honest, I don't know. I, the The thing that stood out to me more in this game was that both of these offenses have serious issues of their own. Like the defenses put up really good statistics, but. There was there was some opportunities that neither Oklahoma State or Iowa State could really take advantage of. You know, I mean, we had we had three missed field goals. We had lots of very poor offensive play, and and you know a lot of those big stops you're talking about in the second half. It was more of Brock Purdy missing receivers or guys just you know missing blocks. Like there was there was quite a bit of stuff where if if the offenses were performing where they could have, then we would have seen a lot more offense. Like we would have seen a lot more. I don't know that the defenses were playing as lights out as I was expecting them to do. Now, I'm not not saying they were bad, but I'm also saying that I I expected more from both of these defense big plays by the defenses, as opposed to what seemed to me to be a lot of miscues from the offenses. Um, Obviously, like the defenses are are definitely playing very well, but Iowa State especially left a lot of things on the field that they had opportunities to do it and they just couldn't connect. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with Brock Purdy. He just seemed off for a good portion of this game. And and yes, Oklahoma State got a lot of pressure, got a lot, got, was able to do a lot of things to him. Um, but it's just, you know, it just seemed like they were both out of sync. You know, Spencer Sanders in his first game back played fairly well, but you could tell that he was a little rusty. Like, I expect them to get better as they go. I, I'm not sure, though, that I can really expect this Iowa State offense to get much better than they've been so far because it's been going on for you know, five games now in this season. And and they haven't gotten consistently better like you normally would expect them to be. So I'm not really sure what's going on with Iowa State's offense, but this might be as good as their offense gets all year long, which means that their defense is going to have to step it up to carry them if they want to get to the Big 12 title game.
0: So I think we can officially end Brocktober. No more. I know they still have another game in the month. They're playing Kansas. So So that doesn't
2: count because we don't count games against Kansas. In reality. That's so
1: arbitrary.
2: Look. No, 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 no. As, as the resident Kansas fan, you do not count any games against Kansas. I mean, it's, it's very consistent across the board for everybody. Yes. So we have to continue to keep that consistency. Like OSU has ended for October the last two years in a
0: row. So I, I think that's a big deal as usual. This was a close game. And again, Jamie, I think your point, we'll talk about kind of where things stand more here in a little bit. Um, you know, it's another close game. Iowa State is far from out of this. This is their first conference loss. Um, of course, they've already taken care of Oklahoma. Now they have Iowa State, or they have Kansas State, and they have Texas. But I, I wouldn't get too down on Iowa State at this point just because of, of this loss on Saturday. For Iowa State fans, I know it's tough. I know you're upset. I know there's lots of things to complain about. I, may I suggest a really good way to cheer yourself up? Go to homefieldapparel.com scroll through all the amazing Iowa State shirts that they have cuz they've got quite a few I myself have one look I look <laughs> I like Iowa State it's hard not to like Iowa State you guys drink beer you're fun you're passionate fan base you love your team I will happily root for Iowa State any week other than the week we just had and they have some really cool old school logos I have the marching side shirt it's awesome there's some vintage cyclone logos there's a hill magic tee with a a dribbling uh,
1: I own that
0: that is a great shirt like, there are one. some fantastic throwback Iowa State shirts so go to homefieldapparel.com get you a shirt get you another shirt it's cold out now I know it is in Iowa it's getting that way in Arkansas oh, so it must be that way dramatic. in Iowa they've got sweatshirts hoodies everyone tells me that they are super comfortable so grab a couple and they have a, a marching sigh hoodie which is pretty
2: mm-hmm.
0: cool um, get you a couple, put them in your in your cart. At checkout, use the promo code TEN TWELVE, capital T, capital E, capital N, one two. Get yourself twenty percent off your first order. Don't forget, any orders over fifty dollars have free shipping. So I mean, that's, I mean, that is a hoodie, but I would suggest go ahead and get you get you a, get you one of the gray hoodies. Um, grab grab your red or a yellow T-shirt so that can kind of pop out. So you got the color, get a little pop of color there coming out from underneath it. Use the promo code 1012, get 20% off your order. Of course, they have Baylor gear as well and gear from more than 90 schools and they continue to add them. I know a Big News Saturday is wrapping up this coming Saturday. Uh, I know that they will try and do season two in the spring. But hey, they've got great stuff. I love my Slippery Rock shirt. So homefieldapparel.com, 1012 gets you 20% off your first order. I'll be rocking some awesome, comfortable, vintage college sports apparel this weekend. And so it's hard to determine what the next best or most important game of the weekend was. Um, I think we're going to truck on down to Texas Tech-West Virginia. Now, I am a coward. I'll admit that that here. On our pick spot on Thursday, I took the under. I missed, but I did say I had a pretty good feeling this was a spot where Texas Tech was going to upset West Virginia. I feel very good about being right. I only get a half point because I was not brave enough to make that decision on the pot I wasn't I didn't put my money where my mouth was, so it's not full credit for it, but it just felt like a game where I like West Virginia. I do think their number one rated defense in the country thing was a little bit overstated. <laughs> I haven't loved the offense, and the move to Columbia for Texas Tech in the offense Texas Tech's offense everyone kept saying he's a better fit for Yo system okay he he played at, at Utah State there under Matt Wells. And Columbia looked good. It looked good early. Texas Tech defense played well. The offense played well. It spurred on a nice defensive performance. And West Virginia couldn't overcome it. Texas Tech winning 34-27. to 27. I don't know how much of this game you guys watched. It had a weird kickoff time at 4.30, so I, I didn't get too well. I watched most of the second half. Um, it was really weird for that fourth quarter of just like no scoring, no scoring, no scoring, until Texas Tech took the lead and, and held on to it. I am... Congrats to Texas Tech. You're still out of the Big 12 title game running. Just, sorry. You're 1-3 you're in conference play. You're done. I know there are people in West, around West Virginia who are like, hey, you know, we're in this. We've got a shot here. We lost OSU, but at least the defense is so good. We could... I never thought that West Virginia was one of the worst teams in the Big 12, but it never felt like they were a serious contender. I think this game kind of confirms that. I'm curious from you guys, how much did you get to watch this game? And and what is, what's your takeaway from it?
2: So I I watched basically the whole thing. I was flipping back and forth between the end of the Iowa State, Oklahoma State game and this game. Um, To be honest, like I said on the, you know, on the last week's podcast, like this is the game that intrigued me the most Um, just because I thought Texas Tech's offense and I, I didn't realize that they were, you know, changing to the Utah State uh, transfer quarterback, who is a phenomenal running quarterback, which... Which you know, this is something that we all should have probably seen coming. Looking at West Virginia, because they played a bunch of teams that either try to pass a bunch um, or teams that just have horrible offensive lines, and and so like they haven't really been tested a whole bunch on the ground, and that was kind of the one area of their of their defense that's kind of been weak is guys that can run, um, especially you know quarterbacks that can run, and we found that there's a huge issue for this for this West Virginia defense. Um, and so it really kind of negated everything or all the advantages that they had because there was a lot of times where the guys were over-pursuing and allowing the quarterback to escape containment. And that led to huge runs for Texas Tech. I don't know that Texas Tech can repeat this though is, is the problem because no other defense in the Big 12 has those sorts of issues. And now everybody knows what to expect from Texas Tech and what they're going to be able to do with this with this quarterback. And so it's one of those things like other than the game against Kansas and maybe the game against TCU. Like, I'm not sure that Texas Tech is going to be super competitive in any any other game unless, you know, Texas does what Texas does and gives up games that they really shouldn't in, in a bunch of different places. So I, I'm just I don't know that we learned a whole bunch about this other than that West Virginia's defense does have some weaknesses, but that it's gonna be really hard to consistently take advantage of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't think that there was anything, like, shocking that came out of it, and on the whole, I mean, obviously it changes standing slightly, whatever, but I don't think it changes that much on the landscape of the Big 12. I mean, exactly like you said, Andy, like, I don't think that tech is going to go on a tear and start taking people down left and right. And, I mean, they'll, I think they'll consistently look a little bit better. I think that maybe they'll, you know, they'll still pick up some games, but I don't think they're going to go undefeated the rest of the season by any means. Then West Virginia, I mean, yeah, they kind of are what they are. I mean, had had a pretty solid showing from quarterback as far as, you know, if you get over 300 yards, that's pretty solid in my book. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, i watched a decent chunk of it. My parents' basement, they have three TVs set up so you can watch kind of whatever you want, but you don't exactly fully engage with it, so I don't have any like uh, groundbreaking takeaways. And frankly, I don't think it was a game of groundbreaking takeaways anyway.
0: Um, I think my final takeaways on this would be two for West Virginia. First off, um, similar to, to Breeze Hall, Breeze Hall had a, a... The numbers say that Brees Hall had a good day. His day very much reminded me of Chuba Hubbard days a couple times last season where a couple big runs and a whole lot of nothing. Um, similar situation with Lenny Brown. Guy who's played really, really well. Had a fine day, averaged 3.7 yards per carry. Had a couple of touchdowns. But it was all right. Uh, Winston Wright Jr., wide receiver, West Virginia. Nine catches, 126 yards. Uh, he had a nice day. He had a very nice day. I think for West Virginia, you really, really, really have to look at this game, and and not just losing, but understand that Texas Tech was without three of their top five receivers, including T.J. Vasher, their third string running back for the whole game, and Texas Tech lost both Sir Roderick Thompson and Xavier White, their top two running backs, in the middle of the third quarter. So you went into that fourth quarter. Texas Tech has so many offensive weapons missing, and yet somehow they're the one that score and you can't in a tie game in the fourth quarter. I just, it's, it's gotta be frustrating for West Virginia. I've seen a lot of West Virginia fans really upset. Um, there's some things that I need to learn a little bit more about as far as maybe how some of the players have been reacting after this loss at West Virginia. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to learn some more about that. West Virginia's not a bad team. They're going to win more games. Uh, Texas tech might win another game. They might not. I mean, they could play Kansas. So I'll say they'll win another game. Sorry, Kansas.
2: Um, But I think real quick to your point, though, about how Texas Tech was the one to score in the fourth quarter. It wasn't the Texas Tech offense. The defense didn't have the problem. The problem was that West Virginia fumbled and they scooped and scored. So it's I mean, it's it wasn't that the defense let anything up at the end. Like they you know, there was it was punt, 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 punt at the end of the game other than that scoop and score. So really what it came down to is something we've been talking about with West Virginia is that their offense has significant problems. They weren't able to overcome them. And ultimately the offense is what lost in the game because that was the final touchdown. And so like, you know, again, we're not learning anything new about West Virginia. The other thing that I noticed though, is that West Virginia is one of the teams, one of the few teams who seems to have still, even in the times of COVID, where there's not really a whole lot of, you know, fans in the stands, a really hard time on the road. And, you know, seems to be playing a whole lot better at home. And so, like, that's why, like, I think this next game they have coming up against Kansas State is going to be extremely interesting because West Virginia is going to be at home and, you know, they have a really good defense that is good against the kind of offense that that Kansas State has. So I'll be very interested to see that particular game. But, like, you know, I don't know that you can say anything about the West Virginia defense coming out of this game because for the most part, they did what they were supposed to do, you know, except for the fact that that one, you know, running quarterback really kind of was able to take advantage of the one weakness that they have. So let's talk Texas and Baylor. Um, Do we have to? I think we have to for two things.
0: (laughs) Two things that happen. First off, uh, the big news on Sunday night for those who haven't seen it. uh, Baylor's offense, which has already struggled, is now going to be without two, basically their two best running backs the rest of the season. Uh, Ebner and Lovett have both announced that they are opting out for the remainder of the 2020 season for Baylor. Uh, Going and looking at Baylor's roster and the three games they've played thus far didn't get an on-conference game, and the Oklahoma State Baylor game delayed due to COVID. And and I know that Baylor, you know, has had four practices before this game, and whatnot. Uh, without without Lovett Lovett and Ebner, the only other running back on the roster who's had a carry this season is is Craig Williams. Uh, he he had a couple of runs versus Texas and and did some damage versus Kansas. But again, it's Kansas. Let's not read too much into it. That's it. So so now Baylor will be without their two best running backs uh, for the rest of the season. And and I know we don't talk a lot about their running backs. When we talk about running backs in the Big 12, I love it. It's really good. Ebner is a solid back. Um, this is a huge loss for a Baylor offense that has been struggling this season. It's weird. We came into this season and, and the conversation was we felt good about the offense, especially with Charlie Brewer back, and we're concerned about the defense with all the guys they lost. And thus far for Baylor, their defense has been pretty solid, and their offense has been putrid i mean if you go look at this game against texas it was 27 to 3 until the fourth quarter and then and then baylor put up 13 points to make it look a little more respectable um baylor's only win is kansas Uh, again you kind of have to uh, gotta take that one away baylor has not been good this season Defense is fine. Defense is solid. Uh, the, the Baylor-TCU game, which we'll talk about in a minute, coming up this weekend. <laughs> um, I think the problem for this game is, A, Baylor is just, it's, it, they've got real problems, and these problems are going to continue to mount. And I have no real takeaway from Texas because, congrats, you beat a Baylor team who can't score, uh, and you put up 27 on a decent defense. So, anybody else with some thoughts?
1: No, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, there's just, there's nothing really to take away because it's less about anything Texas did and more about what Baylor didn't do or what Baylor can't do. Like, they just, I mean, maybe they have people who can step up and at least get some reps, maybe improve a little bit for next year, everyone's favorite thing to say. But, I mean, yeah, as of this year, it's just, they're in some, some dire straits there.
2: Yeah, this this game reeks to me of Texas really wasn't able to do anything until Baylor gave up like Baylor gave up really like right before the end of the first half and then didn't really do much, uh, the rest of the game and can, or I'm sorry. And and Texas was only able to put up 27 points total on this team. Like the offense did not look good. They just, they looked like they were running through the motions thinking that they were, you know, good enough to whoop up on Baylor Without really trying to put any effort in, and it showed that they're they're just not they didn't have the overwhelming talent advantage like you would expect the Texas team to have, especially when Baylor's having all these problems. I don't know what's going on with this Texas team. I would have thought that they would have played with a lot more fire, a lot more urgency, and I just don't see it. Even in games like this, where like if they have any hope of you know of competing still in the Big Twelve, um, they they have to win these games. They have to win these games convincingly, and I mean. Yeah, the the backups were all in basically by the beginning of the fourth quarter, but you know, by that point you're only up you're only up twenty seven three. This is a game that coming into it and based off of like what you're seeing for the you know, for all the different totals and, and just like how bad Baylor has been, I would have expected Texas to be up by, you know, thirty five points before they started pulling the back pulling in the backups. And it just didn't it just never happened. It just never materialized for them for whatever reason. So we like to do a little segment here sometimes called what do you have to say for yourself?
0: And I didn't bring anybody on for this. I just want to rant for a second. At the, in the second quarter, with 10-15 left to go, the game is tied at three. Baylor has the ball. It's fourth and 12. That's a long one to go. It's fourth and 12, but it's at the Texas 30. And Baylor chooses to punt the ball from the Texas 30 in the second quarter of a 3-3 game to touchback so basically, it was a punt that that, that gained 10 yards. What are you, what are you doing? Like, I, I, look, I, I, I am an OSU fan. I live with conservative Gundy. And even Gundy would be like, what the f- are you guys doing over here? Like, what do you have to say for yourself? You punted from Texas's 30-yard line. I understand it's 4th and 12. I understand the likelihood of you picking that up is slim. Got it. Understand completely. No, no argument there. Is that a, what, a 40-yard field goal? 48. 45? 48-yard field goal? You can't attempt a 48-yard field goal? You don't feel good about a 48-yard? I mean, they would have taken over at their own 30. They took over at their own 20, where you're just like, we'll just pin them at the two and take over. And we'll, like, do you know what Texas did on the, the ensuing drive? They got a field goal. They kicked a field goal to go up six to three, and never look back. What on earth was Baylor doing? What on earth was new coach Dave Aranda thinking from the opponent 30 punting? This has to be the only thing I can think of. The only thing I can think of is a defensive-minded head coach looking at this situation going, let's pin him, put our ears back, stop them. Our defense is playing well. We've held them to three points thus far. We'll get good field position and, and start again. Except you didn't. didn't pin them. You didn't get the ball back quickly and get good field position. And you didn't score again. You, oh, oh. Like, I can't imagine being a Baylor fan watching that and not just pulling my hair, yanking, like, fingernails out of my fingers with frustration of, are you kidding me? You punted from the opponent third. Yeah,
1: I just, I just genuinely want to know, like, what they were getting out of it. Like, did you just truly think that you were going to have the perfect kick? Like... Or even a better one than they have, but I just like, I yeah, I really well, just scratch my head on what the goal was like the perfect situation. What are you getting out of that? That's better than at least a field goal attempt.
2: The worst, the worst part about it too was like they didn't try a pooch punt to try to make it you know stop before the the goal line. They they didn't angle it towards the towards the you know, out of bounds line. Like they didn't do anything. He just went and punted it like he normally would. It was the same motion that he normally has when he's trying to, you know, punt it 60 yards down the field. Like they didn't do anything different. I would have expected even like a drop kick or something like that. Like, to, like anything to try to make it so that you can, you know, actually keep the ball from going in the end zone. And, and it didn't even come close. Like either that was a horrible miscommunication where, you know, that's what they intended to do was to try to, you know, do a coffin corner or something like that. And the punter was just, just wasn't told and he didn't have the self awareness enough to realize, hey, I've only got thirty yards to work with here. I need to change my approach. Or they, you know, told him to sky it and he missed it. And he and like, but it just it made absolutely no sense to me to even think about that. But then even not to change your process to try to do something that would be beneficial. They basically just said, you know, we we wanna give them or we will give up the ten yards. Like all, all we need is these ten yards and we'll be fine. And obviously that wasn't enough.
0: Okay, so let me let me state one thing as I do a little digging. The, the field goal kicker for Baylor, John Mayers, is currently two and five on the season. Now he has a forty seven yarder that he hit against Kansas. Otherwise, yeah, but he missed he even missed one again. yeah, he even missed one in this game against Texas. He was 0 for two against West Virginia. Um so it seems their field goal kicker isn't especially good. But still, like I
1: not enough to give up ten do
0: yards. You, do you? Are you guaranteed your punter so good you're going to plant them? Like I just don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like unless you know your punter is, I just like that's just so dumb. It's so dumb. And Texas is a good offense. I understand they weren't especially great with the Baylor. I understand you're a defensive-minded head coach and you've got a good defense that's playing really well. But that is just that's the kind of thing where did it did it impact the outcome of the game? No, you still got curb stomped. But you can't. That does change. A mindset of like mm-hmm. I'm literally just believe in my defense. I don't believe my offense. So we're just going to go and punt here at the thirty. No, never, never punt from the thirty. Never punt from your opponents. You should not punt from your opponent's thirty. Ever it shouldn't
1: even be allowed.
0: It should. It, there should be. There should be an immediate flag. Uh, it should be a safety. That should. If you punt yep. from anywhere <laughs> inside the opponent's thirty-five yard
2: line or end. Okay, thirty. Fine. Thirty-five is a like a fifty-something yard field goal. Yeah, there's a there's an SB Nation video uh, talking about the surrender index, like the worst punts. This is this <laughs> probably wins. Like, Tops I mean, it wasn't jerks. it wasn't late enough in the game, really, to because there's a whole bunch of math that goes into the way that they calculated this, and you know, if it needed to be really late in the game for it to really get a gigantic score, but like this has all of the other opponents of or all of the other um, you know pieces to be like mm-hmm. a full surrender punt that we just we don't care. We, you know, we've, we've given up at this point. And so we're just going to punt it because it's not going to make much of a difference. And I mean, this was absolutely ridiculous. Just, I, I, there's really no excuse for it. It's just
1: indicative of so many other issues that you can just pull like so much out of that one action.
2: You know, I I think this though is, is a perfect symptom or uh, like endpoint of all the COVID stuff. You know, you have a very defensive minded coach who has a lot of confidence in his defense, didn't get to work with his offense. And even though they technically had a lot of pieces coming back that you would have thought would allow him to put a competent offense together. I don't know that he's ever really worked with the offensive side of the ball. So if he doesn't have, you know, if he does not have the, um, you know, that trust in that offense and didn't get a lot of time to work with him to build that trust, like these are the kind of decisions that you see after a COVID shortened preseason where you don't get to work on all the stuff that you normally would. You know, uh, I could think of something that might help Baylor fans. Because it's going to be hard to wake up on a Sunday
0: morning. It's going to be hard to wake up on a Monday morning realizing that you punted from your own 30. And I realize I probably don't have a lot of Baylor fan listeners because we bash Baylor on this show. I don't care. If your team disappointed you on Saturday or did something like punting from the opponent's 30, um, you probably could use a little bit of help rolling out of bed, waking up in the morning. May I suggest a nice hot cup of coffee from Lazy Fair, coffee. Ethically sourced beans from around the world roasted right in the heart of Big 12 country in DFW. They got a variety of flavors, something for everyone, including, and may I suggest, and, and I'm loving this, um, if you want a coffee that's basically yoo disguised as coffee, then you want Lazy Fair's number one seller, Honduran Sunrise. Sweet chocolate and caramel literally described as it's basically you who disguises coffee so if you like your coffee sweet you like a little bit of sugar in there then hunter and sunrise sunrise the number one seller just might be the right bag for you so go to lazyfaircoffee.com, l-a-z-y-f-a-i-r coffee grab a bag grab a couple bags christmas is coming up you want to start getting gifts for uh, for family for friends grab another bag throw it in your cart Use promo code TEN twelve T E N one to get 10% off of your order. Don't forget, if you live in the DFW area, you get free shipping on whatever you get. That includes the body scrub. That includes the dry rub. So go to LazyFairCoffee.com. We would appreciate it. I think you're really going to love
2: a cup of coffee from them. You know who else could use a really great cup of coffee? Kansas fans after no, no no Kansas fans after seeing there <laughs> you their want to watch talk about the game special like teams give up two punt returns I'm sorry I have to get this off my chest this is absolutely ridiculous one I I you know there was plenty of things to be mad at the Big Twelve refs for but that would not have mattered in the outcome of the game um, those two punt return touchdowns were absolutely ridiculous Kansas actually played pretty well on defense for the first you know two and a half quarters pretty well on offense. For the first, you know, two and a half quarters, the special teams was abso- absolutely abysmal. And, I mean, it was, it it turned everything in that game. And, and I don't know what the, like, there is no excuse for it. Uh, I really have no idea what's going on. I was not, or I would not have been surprised to hear that the uh, special teams coordinator was not allowed on the bus back home. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So I, they've really got to. That's all I really want to say about this Kansas-Kansas State game because I don't know, like you said, I we don't, you don't really learn anything about the other team when they play against Kansas because it's just so bad. I just have no idea how a college football team can have one phase of the game that is just that bad. And it's a different phase of the game every single game.
1: You should. We should form a support group for Iowa State fans if we could go back in time to right after our first game of the season we would have really been a shoulder to cry on for you because we've been there,
2: pal. Oh, look, Kansas and Iowa State, we have a long history of, you know, supporting each other when, when it's absolutely horrible. When, when your game has year in and year out for a good decade been called the toilet bowl of the Big 12 conference, um, yeah, no, I, I'm just hoping that one of these days that Kansas will get a, an Iowa State-like, um, you know, rise from the depths of the conference. We'll see if it ever happens. Like I, I will say this for this game, it did feel
0: like early on, at least for the first quarter and into the second, like this game was closer than the score indicated. Obviously, you had the two, uh, you had the the pick six and you had the two return touchdowns for Kansas State, which you you felt like this game was close. And then you, like I was watching the score, like okay, this isn't bad. Next thing I know, it's thirty four to seven at halftime, and I'm like, oh, the game's over. And it came across that way coming out of the locker room. Kansas State scored on their first three drives and. The, it was completely just ridiculous. Like, it felt like this game was close, except for just little things here and there. And I, I, like Kansas is bad. People can grip on Les Miles. He's there to fundraise and help with recruiting. And this season is just going to be a bad year. And I, I don't see Kansas winning a game. They might not score more than fourteen points again the rest of the season unless someone puts in their backups in the.
2: After halftime, like that might be uh, enough against TCU, though. We'll see.
0: Oof. No, TCU's, TCU, TCU. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's enough, Kansas. Um, yeah, not to ignore Kansas State, but
2: we'll get to you guys later. You played Kansas. I was, yeah. I, I was trying to give you a nice segue. It's a nice segue. I'm gonna take yeah. that.
0: I'm gonna just, just <laughs> back it up. Let's go to the segue. Um, <laughs> TCU's defense is not the problem. TCU's defense is not the problem. TCU's defense is not the problem. Um, and for any TCU fan listening who disagrees with me and doesn't listen to Parker or any of the other TCU people who were smart, um, Max Duggan is not the problem. Max Duggan is not the problem. Uh, the wide receivers who are unreliable and have been for two years now, an offensive line coached by a non-offensive line coach. He is an offensive line coach by title now. I believe he used to coach a completely different position before this. Not what you want from your offensive line coach. Um, And an offense that still feels like there's too many cooks in the kitchen and they can't figure out what it is they want to do. I went back and looked in this series because, you know, oh, well, OU, they just... Yes, OU has put up some points on TCU and Gary Patterson's defense. Um, They have. The last two years, though, OU scored 28 and 33 this year. The problem for TCU is they haven't put up more than 27 in their five meetings in the last four years, because they met twice in 2017. They have not put up more than 27 points in this series. You're not beating Oklahoma scoring 27 points. I don't care how good TCU's defense is, and it's always a good defense. It, it, It is. It's a good defense. But you can't, you held them, again, this year, you held Oklahoma to 33 points that should be enough to beat Oklahoma, especially an Oklahoma team that doesn't have a really good defense. Like, I, I just, for TCU, until they get, until Gary Patterson gets the right people in place to figure this offense out, I don't care who your quarterback is, is going to continue to lose games. And, and then I, you have to wonder at a certain point, and I'm not going to get on the, the Gary's got to go kind of crap, but there is a certain point where it's like, dude, You've got to do something different because what you've been doing and bringing in your old buddy from Minnesota, it ain't working. It is not working and it continues to not work. And I understand it's a COVID season and it was a weird off season and it's not normal and blah, blah, blah. But this has become a consistent thing of TCU. You defense has held OU down for two straight years. 33 points for Oklahoma is is below what you would expect from Oklahoma. If you're going to hold Oklahoma to 33 you should be able to win that. But if you're only ever going to score 27 against them, including to
2: bad OU defenses, now you know where TCU's problem is. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things like you can't, you can't really overcome talent differentials, especially in, in the short term. You can't, you know, overcome, you know, if you've got issues in terms of a, a thin position or things like that. What you can, or what you can blame a coach for, a head coach for is not getting his staff to a point where they can work coherently and consistently. And like, that's this is the exact same problem. This this is what got Doug Meacham, you know, run out of TCU in the first place, that they had too many people that were trying to put their stamp on what the offense was doing and it wasn't working. And, you know, like that's why Meacham came to Kansas of all places, um, you know, and kind of had his own problems there, but then like they were trying to get everyone back together to, to get one of the most productive, you know, Uh, eras of TCU offenses back together and and the problem now is that everybody thinks that they were the ones that made it work before and so they've got way too many competing you know competing voices in that coaching room and it's it's messing everything up like I I can't put this on any of the uh, any of the TCU players the the offensive line from what i from what i understand from all the covers that i've seen and and some of the people you know surrounding it that 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 are you know really good friends with a lot of us they they seem to think that the offensive line just doesn't know what to do because they're getting direction from multiple people and like if if the offensive line is indecisive at the beginning of a play because they don't know what their assignment is supposed to be that play is doomed and it seems like that's what they get every single week is that they go in they have no idea what the plan actually is and when they finally figure it out by that point it's too late
1: yeah I mean, I, if there's anything that I know, it's coaching, and I've been around a lot of coaching staff, and if you aren't, it's exactly what you're saying. If you're not on the same page, I mean, there's very little hope to recover from that. Like, it really doesn't matter how great of athletes you have. You can have extremely smart, extremely capable players, but the best thing that you can be as a player is coachable. If you're listening to exactly what you're supposed to do, but those things aren't meshing from one coach to the other from one player to the other, from one position to the other it It doesn't matter because you can have people doing exactly what they've been told to, and what they've been told to do doesn't play well with what everyone else has been told to do, and so it's one of those things where you just you feel for the kids because they're probably doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And generally you're told, if you listen to your coaches, if you work really hard, you're going to be successful. You know, you're going to be at least as successful as you can be in that situation. And here I don't think they are as successful as they can be because they're not being led in the right direction.
0: Uh, Who's the Michigan State football coach that just got fired? I can't think of his name for the life of me. Or just
2: left, I guess, left. Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, D'Antonio.
0: Yes, D'Antonio. Okay, so D'Antonio in his last season, remember everyone was mad because his coaching staff wasn't doing any good and he wouldn't find anybody. So he literally just moved everybody's jobs around and it was bad. Uh, so if you didn't know this, TCU's current offensive line coach is Jared Anderson. He was basically their inside receivers coach for years. Uh, because he used to receivers, coach inside and receivers and line have so much in common. Yes, uh, he returned to the offense line. Twenty, so I guess he used to coach. He was insider. The point is this: Gary's got a little bit of the the Dantonio at the end of his career, where he was just going to keep his guys and figure it out, and didn't want to let anybody go and didn't want to make any changes. And, folks, that 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 <laughs> like that that doesn't work. Like it, there's. There are TCU people who probably follow this team who can do a better job talking about TCU than we will. I just, I want TCU to be good. They should be good. It's fun when they're good. I like TCU. Um, this is not good.
2: Look, it's, it's literally the real life situation of shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm. They're taking the exact same pieces and moving them around and hoping that it's magically going to make it work and it's not working. Yep. So somebody strike up the four piece
0: band because this thing's still going down. All right. So let's look at the current standings because i think at this point we we are starting to clear up the picture of of what we can expect for the rest of the season to some extent um i'm going i'm going to make a leap here i'm sorry i know that baylor and west virginia both only have two conference losses however i believe they texas tech tcu and kansas are all out of the big 12 title game hunt um obviously texas tech and tcu both have three conference losses kansas has uh five or no four sorry yeah both have three kansas has four uh, Baylor and West Virginia have two conference losses. However, with everything going on with Baylor, their only wins at Kansas. So for Kansas, I don't see. I just I don't I don't see that. And no offense to West Virginia. I think they have a good defense. They're gonna lose more games. And I think three conference losses, there, there might be a could a team with three conference losses get into the Beatles title game? Yes. Are those five? Let's just let's just put those five out. We all agree, those five are out. So that leaves Kansas State, currently 4-0 in conference play. Oklahoma State, 3-0 in conference play, the only undefeated team in, in the Big 12, 4-0 overall. Iowa State at 3-1, and Oklahoma and Texas both at 2-2 in conference play, 3-2 overall. Now, I know people don't want to include Oklahoma, but I think you have to because they're not out of this. I understand the losses to Iowa State and Kansas State puts them in a precarious situation. But if you think Oklahoma's out of this, you're crazy. Now, do I think we are probably one week away from Texas officially being out of it after they go to Stillwater this coming weekend? I do, but for now, they're not. Because, of course, they have Oklahoma State on the schedule left. They still have Iowa State and they still have Kansas State. So they still have games in front of them that can give them an advantage to, to potentially get to the Big 12 title game. So I'm not going to write them off yet because we still have too many games to play. But with all that said, looking at where things stand right now, Where do we all, who do we all honestly think today is going to be in Arlington facing off for the Big 12 title at the end of the season?
1: I keep my pick from before the season. (laughs) (laughs) I'm prescient, I am smart, and I'm sticking with it. Dang it, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. And I look forward to making Philip go back and clip me making that extremely flippant prediction that I put all five of my brain cells toward, and I will put no more towards it. That's it.
2: That was probably the scariest moment that I've had on this podcast in a very long time.
1: What you're missing on the podcast is me getting right in my camera...
2: To yell at them. Yeah, I was sitting here, just a little bit of inside podcast. I was sitting here looking at the slate of games coming up this weekend and trying to come up with a good answer. And all of a sudden, she's yelling at us. And I look over and it's just like her nose and eyes. And I'm just like, wait a minute, what? Um, no, but I mean, I, I do think you're right. Like mean, At this point, Iowa State and Oklahoma State are the two best teams so far. And I understand that Oklahoma technically has a shot. But Oklahoma, in order for them to make it, they are, they need both Oklahoma State and Texas to essentially win out from this point forward. And Oklahoma has to win out because what they need is they need the number one team to be the clear cut number one team. They can't afford for Oklahoma State to lose to like Kansas State coming up. Um, and, and then they need Texas to play spoiler and to get rid of some of these other, you know, basically Texas needs to beat both Kansas State and Iowa State for them to be able to come back because both of those teams need two more losses, at least. Oh, I'm sorry, Kansas State needs three more losses. And and Iowa State needs two more losses if, if for Oklahoma to win out and be able to make it. it is, I know it's really weird for Sooners fans to be in a position to be rooting heavily for both Oklahoma State and Texas the rest of the year, but that's really what it comes down to for them. And so while they're technically not out, like a lot of stuff has to happen for them to be able to be back in the conversation. And I just don't see it happening. I think that Iowa State's good enough Um, to be able to win against basically everybody else that they have on their schedule. Maybe they'll get upset once, but I just don't see it happening twice. I don't think that Kansas State is going to beat, you know, both Oklahoma State and Iowa State to get an opportunity to make it there. And so really I'm left with, you know, and, and, and honestly, I think Texas is going to fall off pretty quickly here. So ultimately it comes down to like, I'm just left with Iowa State and Oklahoma State and that's it. So I almost hate myself for saying this.
0: I think it's Oklahoma and Iowa State. So hear me out. I agree. Iowa State has to lose three games. They're not going to. They'll probably lose another one along the way. But Iowa State, I think, is going to get in. The problem for Oklahoma State is you still have Texas. You still have a road game at Kansas State. You still have a road game at Oklahoma. You still have a road game at Baylor, a road game at TCU and Texas Tech on the schedule. And I understand that Those last few games I listed off, you should see Oklahoma State win. But Oklahoma State, over the past few seasons, has a habit of losing games they shouldn't lose. And I'm not going to pick Oklahoma State to beat Oklahoma until they do. So if OSU loses a game to Oklahoma and loses another game and Oklahoma wins out, which I kind of think they might, OU will have the tiebreaker for Oklahoma State. Now, this is the part where Kansas State fans are like, but they have to, I think Kansas State's going to lose three games. They have at West Virginia, Oklahoma State at home, at Iowa State, at Baylor, at home versus Texas. I know Kansas State's been good. I understand. Now they have to play all these games with Will Howard, not Skylar Thompson anymore. I think Kansas State will lose three of their last five. It'll be a nice season for them. Um, They'll finish, but would that be uh, six and and four? Okay. Um, It's a nice season. Congrats! That's a winning season. You're going to a bowl game. Um, I think Kansas State knocks himself out of it. I think OU wins out. I think OU OSU loses twice, including Oklahoma. OU wins the tiebreaker, and we get an Oklahoma Iowa State rematch in Arlington.
2: Yeah, but what you're forgetting that also requires Iowa State to win out. And look, I mean, Iowa State has some problems of their own. I see them dropping at least one more. And, and I mean. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just one, but then Oklahoma State has a tiebreaker on Iowa State. Iowa State has a tiebreaker on Oklahoma. I'm not sure how that three-way, you know, tie breaks out, but, like, I don't think it's a given that if Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma that they're going to find themselves in that situation. And so, you know, I also easily could see that Oklahoma State, the only game they lose the rest of the way is to Oklahoma because, you know, their defense is that good. And, you know, the offense is kind of figuring out what to do. Like, Spencer Sanders immediately gave that offense a bump and it was his, it was his first time back for this season. So like I I see the Oklahoma state offense getting better. I see the defense is already really good. They, they seem to me to be the best team in the big 12. And I don't even think it's necessarily that close. I think Iowa state played them pretty close. Iowa state has again, a phenomenal defense, but their offense has some issues. Like if I'm picking a team out of the big 12, that is far and away the favorite, it's gotta be Oklahoma state because they seem to be the most complete team so far. And they're only going to get better. I'm just too much of an Oklahoma state pessimist. Okay. It's my, it's my,
0: my, my long fandom has made me a pessimist. I can't believe in good things. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just not gonna. Um, okay. So we're, we're, we're going a little long here. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Which game this weekend is everyone most excited for? Obviously we have starting uh, starting 11 a.m. We get Kansas state at West Virginia. Um, at Iowa State at Kansas. Uh, For our midday treats, we've got TCU at Baylor at 2.30, Texas at Oklahoma State at 3, and for our night cap, Oklahoma at Texas Tech at
2: 7 o'clock. Which game, uh, Andy, why don't you take this one first, are you most interested in? Well, I'm not going to do that to myself and say Iowa State-Kansas because, (laughs) I mean, it's the only one that – I don't think any of them really jump out to me. I am such a glutton for punishment, though, for bad football because I'm a Kansas fan. Obviously, I am. Um, that TCU Baylor one is the one that's the most intriguing to me because I see two teams that are obviously struggling. I don't think either of those are going to have a very good, you know, season the rest of the year. And so it really comes down to, you know, which of those two teams is going to find a way to not completely suck in this game. And I'm not sure who it's going to be. And I, and that's kind of intriguing to me because the rest of these games, like, you know, if the only the only other game i think that's really going to tell us something because i think oklahoma state's going to wallop on texas and i think oklahoma is going to honestly beat down texas tech no matter how much people want to talk about halloween you know at, down in lubbock like kansas state virginia west west virginia has an opportunity to tell us something about those teams but only if kansas state doesn't win um you know otherwise it's we're going to see the exact same thing from both those teams. We're not really going to learn anything. And so the only one where I think that we're definitely going to learn something about one of the, one of the two teams or both of the teams that are in there is that TCU Baylor game. It's probably not going to be pretty football, but it's at least intriguing.
1: Yeah. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Like, I, well, as far as K state, West Virginia goes, like, I think that that's where you could maybe see something that you didn't already know about a team, but I wouldn't put too much stock in that because I think that K state will still win Um, Frankly, above uh, most of the actual gameplay over the weekend, I'll be watching uh, raptly to see what costumes the mascots come out in for Halloween, and I will be ranking them on my Twitter. So, I just don't want those schools to disappoint me.
2: So, what you're saying is that the most interesting thing from Big 12 football this weekend is probably going to be your Twitter, where you're ranking mascots?
1: Awesome. I hope so.
2: Yeah,
1: that's the goal. That's always the goal.
2: Okay. Okay. Um,
0: I I'm I'm leading Kansas State West Virginia uh, here, and and it's because and spoiler for Thursday, I know that and I can't believe that the Vegas line opened up with West Virginia minus five, which is insane to me. It's already dropping. It's at three and a half for Kansas State right now. But I came into this weekend, and I came in ready to this pod, and I came in as of last week ready to go, and this is a sneak peek for Thursday. I don't know. Whatever that line is, I'm taking West Virginia. I think this is the first loss for Kansas State in conference play. Like I said, I think they lose three games. I think they lose here. I understand what West Virgin- happened to West Virginia at Texas Tech. West Virginia is going to get home. This is the first game against a good – a full good – I just – Will Howard, I know they're able to, to get the win at TCU – West Virginia is a better team than TCU. West Virginia is a better team than TCU. They are this year. Um, I think West Virginia gets this win. I think it's, they. I understand what Vegas, where Vegas has a line, but it's going to be an unranked team beating a ranked team. I think West Virginia gets this win. I'm really interested in this game because if Kansas State can win, and I'm curious to see how Kansas State looks with Will Howard against not Kansas, we may have to take Kansas State more seriously. Because this is also, you know, you you wonder if Kansas State will be in a look-ahead spot because they're going to have Oklahoma State coming to Manhattan the following weekend. I just, this is a very interesting game to me. TCU-Baylor is interesting, kind of like that Cactus Bowl was interesting, or the Cheese it Bowl was interesting, where like eight turnovers with TCU. I'm just curious and interested to see if the TCU-Baylor game, if, if either team scores more than nine points. Um, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but the Kansas State-West Virginia game, I think it has a, I think it has a big impact. I think it's a game that especially like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are keeping an eye on as far as conference standings go. So uh that'll be maybe 11 a.m. game cuz I'm not going to watch Kansas play. Sorry. Um
2: I don't blame you. Yeah, not at all. I don't, I don't Kansas
0: fans are going to watch that
2: game. <laughs> I mean, fans will watch for a bit I'll that. be watching it cuz I have to talk about it, but other than that I would be, you know, I'm going to I'm going to watch it for probably the first quarter. I would say it'll be up by, you know, five touchdowns by that point and then I can say, okay, my job's done. All right, I hear Emmy uh, crying in the
0: background, so it's time to wrap this up. Everybody, go uh, follow our good friend Andy Mitts at Andy Mitts uh, M I T T S twelve on Twitter. Of course, you can follow our good friend Jamie Steyer as well at J Sties S T E Y Z J S T E Y Z.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, you get these weird. What's the number? There's a number. There's no number. No number. No number. No number? no number. Man. Okay, J S T E Y Z, whatever. You can follow us at 1012 Podcast, T E, and the number 12, the word podcast. We have a number. Uh, of course, you can follow us on the gram 1012pod. We should have an Instagram live this week. We'll see. We had to cancel last week. Babies, what can I say? Uh, of course, lazyfaircoffee.com, com. 1012 saves you some money. We'll be back on Thursday with picks.
1: Podcast Network.